the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi will not seek leadership in the upcoming Congress. She has been a strong, fierce leader for the Democrats. The House Oversight and Reform Chair promises to investigate Hunter Biden's business dealings. Hunter Biden can't get this money if his dad isn't the vice president of the United States at the time. Many employees leave Twitter after Elon Musk's ultimatum. Twitter HQ, the iconic building, is locked out as of this hour until Monday. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast, your first look at today's top stories for Friday, November 18th. I'm Mike Scott. On Thursday, after Democrats lost control of the House, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announced she will not seek re-election as leader of the House Democratic Conference after nearly 20 years at the helm. My friends, no matter what title you all, my colleagues, have bestowed upon me, speaker, leader, whip, there is no greater official honor for me than to stand on this floor and to speak for the people of San Francisco. This I will continue to do as a member of the House, speaking for the people of San Francisco, serving the great state of California, and defending our Constitution. And with great confidence in our caucus, I will not seek re-election to Democratic leadership in the next Congress. For me, the hours come for a new generation to lead the Democratic caucus that I so deeply respect. Thank you all. May God bless you and your families, and may God bless, continue to bless our veterans and the United States of America. Thank you all so much. The 82-year-old Californian made her announcement after speculation grew in recent days in the wake of a violent attack on her husband, Paul. Nancy Pelosi put her stamp on Washington as a progressive policymaker who also mastered pragmatic politics and became the first woman speaker in American history, formally stepping down from leadership and on her own terms. It's a long road and a rise from back in 1987 when she first won a San Francisco seat in a special election. Thank my colleague for calling this special order and giving me the opportunity to speak on the House of of Representatives about an issue of concern to the people of my district and the people throughout the world who care about human rights. The speaker has played a big role in American life. Meanwhile, a longtime ally, President Biden, dubbed her the most consequential speaker in history, as do many who've worked with her. Pelosi has led House Democrats since 2003, including two four-year stints as Speaker. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer had nothing but praise for Nancy Pelosi. To Nancy Pelosi, my dear, good, and close friend, thank you. Thank you for being you. Thank you for dedicating your life for public service. Thank you for teaching us so much. Thank you for inspiring us all. It's been the honor of a lifetime to work 
with you. She's, she's just an, an, an amazing person. She never, she never forgot why she's in the fight to begin with. As she said, the children. Always her North Star, helping the children of America. Pelosi's decision will impact her conference as it has not been announced who will replace her in the top leadership position. Political insiders surmise that her most likely successor would be House Democrat Conference Chair Hakeem Jeffries of New York. Scott Bolden, former D.C. Democratic chair, seems to echo the belief that Jeffries will replace Pelosi. I think the new leadership is set. I'm not sure what a coastal elite is. That may be me. That may not be me. Uh, It certainly isn't Hakeem Jeffries from Brooklyn, but he's the designated um, leader or will be, along with uh, Clark out of Massachusetts and Aguilar out of California. This is a peaceful transition of power to a much (laughs) younger generation, if you will. But I think it's set in stone because Hakeem Jeffries represents a generational reach up to the older establishment and a reach back to what the future of the Democratic Party is. And maybe for the first time, the Democratic Party will gladly embrace people of color and gays and women and say, this is our core base, as opposed to spending money going after uh, white conservatives or white working class voters that haven't voted for them in 40 years as far as putting the president in the White House. We'll see. This is real transition. This is real generational change, but it is, is something to pay close attention to. Emily Campagno of Fox News says that Pelosi's speech was a historic moment. I thought that this was a very um, historic speech in which she took people through her years of service. She mentioned the fact that in her 35 years in the House, uh, since 1987, when she first started, there were only 12 Democratic women, and now there's over 90. She walked us through a lot of points in history. She called Abraham Lincoln her colleague and Daniel Webster, certainly in the storied walls there of the House of Congress. You know, this was a really monumental moment that we were watching there as the House Speaker uh, stepped down, did say, however, that her there was no greater role that she has held than serving the people of San Francisco, and she commented on the fact that she will continue to do so, though she will not seek re-election in a Democratic leadership position. She will stay and serve out her term there as Congresswoman to the people of San Francisco, who um, I hope now she can extend a lot more of her time to serving their needs there in that city that needs a lot of help. Compagno goes on to point out that in Pelosi's speech, she still took a small jab at former President Donald Trump. But she showed through as well the Nancy Pelosi that we've come to expect, which is, you know, no, no, hold, no holds barred. Yeah. Um, remember just Monday she referred to those who, who were skeptical of the Democrats surviving the midterm election as D.C. bedwetters. And we saw a bit of that, um, that uh, attitude of hers as she said, it's been my pleasure to serve three presidents when we know she served under four. It hearkened back to that moment she ripped up the State of the Union speech, for example, in February of 2020 under Donald Trump's uh, leadership. Dagan McDowell of Fox News says that like her or hate her, you have to admit she was pretty good at her job. Like her or not, a lot of people don't, with the ripping up of the speech that was just part of her, you know, theatrics, her (laughs) her histrionics. But she has been a strong, fierce leader for the Democrats. Her fundraising capability, I'm sure she will be very active, but it takes decades to build up the network uh, um, for fundraising for the Democrats. And she's doing what she promised, 
four years ago, she said, I won't run for another term as Democratic leader after the 2022 midterm election. So she stuck by her word. During the first two years of the Obama presidency, Pelosi was instrumental in passing the Affordable Care Act and an economic stimulus bill. Turning to tensions in the South Pacific, North Korea launched a short-range ballistic missile toward its eastern waters hours after it threatened fiercer military responses to the U.S., bolstering security commitments with allies in South Korea and Japan. South Korean, U.S., and Japanese militaries quickly condemned the launch that they say threatens stability in the region. North Korea has steadfastly maintained that its recent weapons testing activities are legitimate military counteractions to U.S.-South Korean military drills. State Department Deputy Spokesman Vedant Patel says that at the G20 summit, President Biden discussed the issue of North Korean missile launches with China's leader. In the bilateral meeting that President Biden had with President Xi, he raised concerns about the DPRK's uh, provocative behavior and noted that all members of the international community, including the PRC, have a vested interest in encouraging the DPRK to act responsibly. Patel says President Biden and South Korea's president believe China should play a more constructive role regarding North Korea. The PRC uh, has a a responsibility to make clear to the DPRK uh, that Pyongyang should not engage in unlawful and destabilizing nuclear or ballistic missile tests. Uh, President Biden raised that directly. Patel goes on to say that North Korea's missile development undermines peace and security in the region. Uh, Our belief continues to be that we must limit the DPRK's ability to advance its unlawful ballistic missiles program and its weapons of mass destruction program. Uh, And our goal uh, continues to be quite clearly the complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. With control of the House, Republicans will take control of key committees, giving them the ability to launch probes of the president, his family and his administration. On Thursday, the House GOP announced that they would be looking into the overseas business dealings of the president's son, Hunter Biden. With the majority secured in the House, Republican lawmakers are moving quickly to launch a handful of investigations. Among them, a probe into President Biden's son, Hunter Biden, and his foreign business dealings. GOP Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio, who is poised to become chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, has suggested the panel will investigate alleged political interference by the FBI and the Justice Department in the Hunter Biden probe. Jordan says the Biden administration has done an about-face in the investigation. Why has the Biden administration suddenly changed their position on suspicious activity reports? Used to be, Mr. Comer wanted to see him. Any member of Congress, any chairman wanted to see him, any ranking member wanted to see him, any member of Congress, any committee, you got a chance to see him. Suddenly, no, 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 we can't see him. Jordan says the panel's focus should be clear. We're committed to getting to the truth, the facts. We think that's what the American people are entitled to. 
we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna try to help uh, Representative Comer and the team here at Oversight with uh, with our work on judiciary, but with a specific focus on what the FBI was doing. Jimmy Filo, host of Fox Across America, says that all Americans should care about the Hunter Biden case because of allegations that Joe Biden was peddling his position in government for money through his son. Let's be very clear. Everybody should be concerned about this, if for no other reason than we all know, objectively speaking. Hunter Biden can't get this money if his dad isn't the vice president of the United States at the time. Nobody at any of these respective conglomerates or power companies or whatever we're talking about was sitting around in the board meeting and was like, you know what we need to do to get this business off the ground? There's a guy that just got thrown out of the Chateau Marmont in L.A. for doing too many drugs. And the CIA had to pay his his bill or the Secret Service. We need to get that guy on the board. I don't think that was a thing. So, yes, if there's smoke, there's fire, or either that or Elizabeth Warren sending a message. But stick with me. (laughs) The host goes on to say that he's not sure that The investigation will find concrete evidence because he believes the media has already done a great job of covering up the story. Uh, Listen, I don't know that we will because I feel like there's been such an effort made first to bury the laptop then to make sure the FBI agents on this case seem to be running some type of an interference. They're pretty good at running clock on what they want to run clock on and what people refer to as the deep state. I don't know a lot about the deep state. Look at me. I know more about deep dish, maybe the pizza. But the point is, I don't like where it's going, but I respect the Republican effort. And I think a lot of people want them to make it because this is what we took back the majority for, government accountability. So let's go, boys. Arizona gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake declined to concede the governor's race to Democrat Katie Hobbs Thursday, raising concerns about the election process. Daybreak Insider congressional correspondent Bernie Bennett has an update on the Arizona election. The Associated Press and other outlets projected that Hobbs won the race on Monday, but Lake indicated that she's assembling a legal team that is collecting evidence and data pertaining to the electoral process. Lake on Thursday pointed to printing malfunctions in Maricopa County, the state's most populated county that includes Phoenix, and called it unforgivable, claiming that voters were disenfranchised. County election officials have repeatedly pushed back on Lake's allegations, saying no one was denied an opportunity to vote, and indicated the issue impacted less than 7% of Election Day ballots. Bernie Bennett reporting. On Thursday, the Biden administration announced it will ask the Supreme Court to allow the student debt relief program to be revived. Some breaking news to get to now. The Biden administration, we've just learned, will ask the Supreme Court to step in and let them restart the student loan forgiveness program. Got a document from the Justice Department to the Fifth Circuit laying out what they're going to say. They haven't officially filed it just yet, but remember that relief plan is blocked for now after six Republican-led states sued the White House basically pressing pause on any new applications for this program. That's what the White House has done. It could give up to $20,000 in relief to some students with student loan debts. We're going to see how this this one unfolds in the court system. In the court filing, the Biden administration plans to ask the court to reverse an injunction issued earlier this week by the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals that prohibited the administration from carrying out student debt forgiveness. Officials in the Biden administration say they need to cancel student debt to prevent a surge of delinquencies and defaults when monthly payments resume. James Caval, the Undersecretary of Education, said in that court filing earlier this week that the administration is examining all available options 
while student debt relief remains blocked in court, including extending the pause on repayment beyond December 31st. This week, Twitter CEO Elon Musk sent out an email with an ultimatum for Twitter's employees in which he said those who have rejected his extremely hardcore vision for Twitter should leave. That move seems to have backfired as a wave of employees seem to have rejected this ultimatum. Fittingly, the news of the resignations broke on Twitter as many started sharing farewell messages that their colleagues were sending through internal messaging apps. The resignations are in response to a company-wide email sent by Elon Musk yesterday telling employees to expect long hours at high intensity if they wanted to stay. The email set a 5 p.m. deadline for today. Musk then sent follow-up emails today stating managers must meet with employees in person once per week or at least monthly and that managers could be fired for allowing employees to work remotely if those employees are not considered excellent or exceptional. Tonight's wave of resignations adds to a mass exodus from Twitter, leaving the company significantly smaller than it was when Elon Musk took over just late last month. According to an email, a departing employee shared with CNBC, Twitter is closing offices until Monday and is asking employees to refrain from discussing confidential company information. It is unclear right now how, uh, if at all, these resignations might impact the social media site, but there is a fair amount of pessimism about the top trending hashtag on the site right now is RIP Twitter. This former Twitter employee posted video of himself along with several co-workers leaving Twitter headquarters after the 5 p.m. deadline expired. 30 seconds left. 35 seconds. You have like an atomic clock. Oh, he's, just, he's got his thing. Everybody here, we're all about to get fired from Twitter. Uh, I've been here nine years and nine months now. Same with you. How long are you here? Four years. Four years? Two months. Nine years and a month. Oh, you're not no. no, no, he was after. Wait. Okay. Oh, 10 seconds. Ten, uh, ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Happy New Year! <laughs> Yay! Hooray, that's a lot of pomp and circumstance. Reports are unclear as to exactly how many employees have opted for severance. The departures come after Musk already cut 50% of Twitter's jobs in mass layoffs. Jake Ward is a tech reporter for CNBC, says that what is newsworthy here is that many people who are critical to Twitter's infrastructure are walking out. At this hour, really, what is not happening at Twitter? Uh, we, as you mentioned a few hours ago, were looking at this deadline, this ultimatum that Elon Musk had put in front of his staff, essentially saying, click here to commit to extreme, hardcore working conditions. And it was not spelled out in an internal FAQ document exactly how that might change, for instance, the benefits you would have, only that you would be working harder, possibly working weekends. 
the, the ultimatum that he put in front of people seemed to have been intended to sort of weed out the people who weren't adequately committed. Well, supposedly at this hour, not enough people have uh, clicked that committal button to basically keep the place running. What we are hearing from internal engineers is that critical teams, teams charged with the infrastructure that keeps Twitter going. And again, this is not just some company. This is the way that world leaders speak to each other. This is the way uh, that, that police get evacuation orders out, right? That site is in danger of going down because some of the critical teams in, in charge of infrastructure are there, are, are supposedly walking right out of that place. Ward goes on to explain that Twitter has now shut down offices until Monday. Here's another important thing to understand at this hour, uh, Joshua, is that right now, as we understand it, an internal email went out to everyone. It's been shared with our colleagues at CNBC saying we are shutting down the offices. So the big Twitter HQ, the iconic building, is locked out as of this hour until Monday. Not clear why that might be, but certainly the paranoia we have seen from Elon Musk over the last few uh, days seems to have been reflected in the order to shut people out of that building. So tremendous resignations. The ultimatum does not seem to have gone the way he intended it to, and at this hour that building is empty, Joshua. Ward says that part of the reason for the walkouts has been the shift in culture. I think we're looking here at a big shift, and you know, I can absolutely understand to somebody looking in from the outside, looking at this and saying, how can these people be complaining? They're some of the best paid, most valuable employees in the world, right? And uh, the complaints that we have seen in recent days that Elon Musk and his team are scouring the tweets of employees to make sure they are not disparaging their former employer, you know, that is weird for a guy who claims to be a free speech absolutist, but it is absolutely normal in corporate America, right? Uh, you know. Uh, we at any company are required to not disparage that company publicly. So all of that, I understand. What we're also seeing, however, is a big shift from what was really an article of faith in working at Twitter. You were there as part of a piece of big, important civic infrastructure. You were theoretically trying to keep people together. We're talking about the instrument by which world leaders who have no other diplomatic channel to speak to one another get the word out to one another in uh, across Twitter, right? It is an extraordinary channel in terms of what it does, and it is largely unique in this landscape at this moment. I think that the bargain that people who were working there really made with themselves was we're going to go and work as hard as we can on this place in order but because we believe in it. Ward also says that some critics believe that the changes Musk is making may endanger what makes Twitter valuable. Then Elon Musk comes in and begins talking about how he wants to blow all of that up. He, of course, throws right. away the verification system, which could prove that anyone was who they say they wanted to be, and wound up not only alienating big advertisers who got impersonated by various paying jokesters and wound up not only losing stock value, but then pulling out of the advertising they had placed on Twitter, but he was also, by doing that, according to the people we've been speaking to inside, endangering what makes Twitter valuable, which is, again, yeah. this piece of important civic infrastructure that people were communicating across. Now, I was a big critic of Twitter. We've all been a big critic of Twitter. But the people that agreed that it needed to be improved, a lot of those people seem to be walking out the door at this hour. And that is part of what's so concerning here. Twitter no longer has a communication staff, but Musk so far hasn't publicly commented on the resignations. General Motors says it expects its portfolio of electric vehicles to turn a profit in North America by 2025 as it boosts battery and assembly plant capacity to build over 1 million EVs per year. 
Daybreak Insider's Lisa Dwyer has more on if the Motor City's battery-powered future will meet its goals. General Motors expects its portfolio of electric vehicles to turn a profit in North America by 2025. The profit prediction is on a pre-tax basis that includes capital costs as GM boosts battery and assembly plant capacity to build over 1 million EVs per year. GM CEO says the profit figure includes vehicle sales revenue, benefits from emissions tax credits, and revenue from software and parts sales. Profit margins are expected to be slim in the beginning, but are expected to go higher once clean energy tax credits from the Federal Inflation Reduction Act are applied. The company plans on selling only electric passenger vehicles by the year 2035. I'm Lisa Dwyer. Former White House speechwriter Michael Gerson has died of cancer. Daybreak Insider's White House correspondent Greg Cluxton has more from Washington. Gerson wrote for President George W. Bush and later was an evangelical Christian voice on the op-ed pages of the Washington Post, where he wrote columns about conservative politics and religious faith. A graduate of Wheaton College, Gerson previously worked for Prison Fellowship Ministries founder Charles Coulson. He was first diagnosed with kidney cancer in 2013. Gerson was 58. Greg Clugston, Washington. And finally, Chicago has once again been named the rat capital of the country. And a company based in Chicago has decided to capitalize on that dubious distinction by creating a board game. Okay, well, we got to get to this one. It is a dubious distinction for the second city, Chicago. Ready for this? Number one again when it comes to the rattiest city in the nation. Orkin Pet Control declares us first in rodent infestation for the eighth straight year. New York and Los Angeles round out the top three. I am shocked it's not New York one. Well, in the past, Chicago has released a thousand feral cats on the streets to try to address the rat problem. Uh, but giving the city's number one ranking, city leaders might have to consider other strategies other than the kitty cats to control the rat population. The game is called Target Rats, and each player is on a mission to build their rat family and be crowned the Big Cheese, which is a rodent king that sits on top of a Chicago deep dish pizza. Players search for Chicago-style food to feed their rat families like Chicago-style hot dogs and Italian beef sandwiches. If you are interested in Target Rats, The board game retails for $45 and is available for pre-sale online. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.